The opinions and views expressed in Dead Men Do Tell Tales and all affiliated media are Jordan and Nicole's and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of their training program or others working in the field of medical legal death investigation. Welcome to Dead Men Do Tell Tales, a podcast about forensic pathology-related topics. I'm Nicole Kroom. And I'm Jordan Taylor. And we're both pathology residents who are going into forensic pathology. So today we wanted to talk about something that was slightly more lighthearted, or as lighthearted as we can go in our world. Yeah. <laughs> because our last couple episodes were a little more serious, and we felt like everybody needed a break. So today we're going to be talking about poisonous plants. Yes. And so what are poisonous plants? They're plants that produce a toxin that is made to deter herbivores, so animals or insects, from eating them. You know, because plants can't really run away particularly easily. Wait, what? Uh, (laughs) So some plants will have thorns or spines or prickles or something like that. But actually the most common defense in animals is chemical. So we touched a little bit on definitions in our Toxicology 101 episode, but just as a reminder, Jordan mentioned the word toxin, and toxin simply describes a biologically produced chemical that alters the normal function of another organism. And a lot of people get confused about what the difference is between a poison and a venom, and a poison is something that is secreted, a venom is something that is injected. So a really quick way to remind yourself of the difference between poison and venom is if you bite it and you die, it's poison. If it bites you and you die, it's venom. So all of this is poison. All of this is poison. Yeah. I don't think Venus flytraps, which are the only plant I can think of (laughs) off the top of my head that bites are poisonous. So yeah, probably not. Well, to to flies in a certain way. Yes. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) So... These defense mechanisms evolved over time. Some of the early emerging defense mechanisms, one of the ones that I saw listed was actually tannins. So a lot of people associate tannins with the astringent taste you get in wine. And so that is, so tannins are actually seen in a lot of plants and they lead to that astringent taste and they deter a lot of animals and insects. But of course, people love it. So good try plants. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of plants have this, I realized that, Oaks, like the trees, apparently oh. have tannins. Not that we're eating them, but you know. Oh, you don't. Oh. You don't eat oak trees. <laughs> nom 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 nom. <laughs> Are you going to be doing that all And some of the later emerging things include things like the what causes the bitterness in carrots, which is called valcarandiol, is a polyacetylene. And that's something that evolved later in time. So it's not seen in as many plants as tannins are because oh. that was evolved earlier. Oh, cool. And when you think of poisonous plants, there's a dis- there's were five breakdowns that I saw that was interesting. So there are plants that produce chemicals. Mm-hmm. There are plants that are then poisonous because they're infected by something like bacteria, virus, or fun- or other fungal organisms. Oh. They are poisonous, but it's not from the plant; it's from the other thing so that's in there. Indirectly poisonous. Exactly. They can they can uptake toxic compounds through contaminated soil or groundwater, mm. and then be poisonous because of that. Mm which I wish I had looked into more now that I'm thinking of this, they can undergo the process of decay, and in that decay process, give off something that's then poisonous. Oh. 
or they can produce a chemical that people react to. So you don't necessarily eat it, but if you touch poison ivy, oh yeah, you get a very bad dermatitis, contact dermatitis. So there's a lot of different ways that these pants can be pants. <laughs> there's a lot of different ways that these plants can be poisonous or toxic. That's not just you eating them. <laughs> so the, then I wrote down, <laughs> the whole thing is like Olaf. Look, but don't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and then importantly, I don't know if you went into this, but I was just going to do one quick line. A lot of these poisons are differently poisonous to different species. So there's a lot of stuff like houseplants. There's a lot of houseplants that you shouldn't buy because if your cat eats it, they might die. But, you know, they, it also might be poisonous to humans, but, you know... Humans are hopefully humans not interested. Humans are hopefully not eating plants. But also when you think about like grapes, right? Like oh, humans yeah. could eat grapes, but... Poisonous to dogs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of things like that that we're going to be mainly talking about this in the human realm. Because we there's... are going to be investigating death in humans. <laughs> exactly. There's actually a couple that I'm going to talk about that are specific for other animals too, but... How dare you go outside our species? But they're fun and cute and fuzzy and adorable. No, I agree. <laughs> The cat might be locked in the room right now, but that's fine. <laughs> Animals are better than people. Um, also, importantly, one of my favorite sayings is the dose makes the poison. So there's something called an LD50, which is what is a lethal dose in 50% of humans, essentially. And if you have a little bit of something, you might not die. But if you have a lot of bit of something, you might die. Or if you are particularly susceptible, you might have a little bit of something. Exactly, yeah. So the one that I saw listed in this was apple seeds. They have this thing called amygdalin, which is a cyanogenic glycoside. We'll go into some of the what those all mean later. So it's mildly poisonous, and a few apple seeds aren't going to kill you. But if you have too many of them, you could die. How many of them? I wish I had looked that number up. There's some that I have. Not for any particular on. reason do I want to know how many apple seeds. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going to grind them up like flour or something? What? I would never do that. <laughs> I would know if I'm eating that many apple seeds. Those are not easy to chew. God, I'm going to die, guys. Please come save <laughs> it's me. It's fine. We don't live together yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> and also, the, a good way to think of this is illicit drugs. So things at a low level, a little bit of heroin's not going to kill you. A lot of bit of heroin is definitely going you to kill you. You should not advertise <laughs> that on this podcast. A little bit of heroin is going to kill you. <laughs> Um, another point that's important to note is different parts of the plant may be poisonous. So, do you like mangoes? I enjoy a mango. Mangoes are delicious. Their leaves, stems, peels, and sap apparently contain urushiol, which is the allergen that's present in poison oak, ivy, and sumac. Ooh! So, if you're handling mango trees, you might, and you happen to be allergic to one of these poison trail walking plants. That you makes could get... me imagine that the plant is walking on the trail. Sorry, just had to. <laughs> no, that's great. There's gonna be a lot of side adventures in this podcast here, you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> so it's it's just really interesting because the mangoes are delicious, and I love mangoes. But like, I never really have had to touch a leaf, a, a mango leaf. Yeah, like it's always been, you know, the the plant itself. And then. Some poisonous things, like I said, to different animals, they can be poisonous, but they can also be poisonous to certain cells. And so that's really what drugs come on. Mm. So nutmeg, for example, has this thing called miracistin, and this um, has possible neurotoxic effects on neuroblastoma cells. 
but obviously you can have some of it in a delicious spice cake and you're fine. So it's, again, the dose makes the poison and also different cells even within your own body will react differently to different chemicals. Did not know that about nutmeg. I didn't either. And it did say distinctly possible neurotoxic effects on neuroblastoma cells. So I'm curious if that was just like in a petri dish or something. But it was interesting that, you know, a lot of these different plants and whatnot are medicines in certain ways because really chemo is medicine that kills cancer cells more than your normal cells. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Knock on wood. And then as Nicole alluded to, some plants can be worse if you have some inherent mutation. So there's this thing called G6PD, which is a deficiency of a particular enzyme that helps you get rid of oxidants. And if somebody G6PD eats lima beans, they can have a very bad reaction and get very sick. But most people can eat lima beans and be totally fine. Also, apparently, raw lima beans have this thing called linamarin, which is a cyanogenic glycoside. So don't eat raw lima beans. Well, and never eat lima beans if you have this G6PD deficiency. I'm pretty sure I don't have that. I feel like I would know by now. I've eaten fava beans before, so I think I would know by now. Yeah, I think you would know. With a nice side of Chianti. Uh, Actually, yes, because we were having one of our movie marathons, (laughs) and so it was a themed themed food and drink. That's amazing. Yep. We didn't have human liver with it, so like a little bit off base, but... Did you have animal liver with it? We might have just had... Oh, I think we had... Uh, like foie gras or something? We had ground hamburger and we just shaped it into livers. <laughs> That's great. Because like neither it. of us was particularly interested in eating liver. Foie gras is not bad. I don't think I've ever had foie gras. There's this burger at this place in Cambridge, I can't remember what it is now, that puts foie gras on top of their burger and it's amazingly delicious. Huh. It's very not good to the animals, but it was really delicious. Yeah. I have had liver that I enjoyed before because okay. my mom used to grow up eating a lot of liver. Hmm. Oh, okay. Liver and tongue, because, you know, back in the day. When... My mom grew up eating liver, but she always said she hated it, so she's never made it for me because she never really liked it. Oh. But I I guess the only liver I've had is fatty duck liver foie gras. Aren't you fancy? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot every time Jordan says. <laughs> I am sorry, not if you're driving. <laughs> So now to get into a little bit of epidemiology, it was actually pretty hard to find epidemiologic information about this. Completely agree. I had so much trouble. I was like, Nicole will find it because she loves epidemiology. Yeah. And I think it was so difficult because while a lot of people suffer from plant exposures that lead to calling poison centers, there aren't a lot of fatalities associated with them, Yes, particularly in the United States. Yes. It's more of a global health issue, which I will get into. People are really, like, poison control is very good at dealing with this. I'm always very impressed. Yes, me too. So the most common problems with poisonous plants often arise from contact, as Jordan alluded to earlier, and that's because the sap oil can cause allergic skin reactions. So those are the things like poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. Which I remember we were talking about because we went on a socially distant hike the other day and I found this picture showing oh, the difference nice. in the leaves. I also didn't know that poison sumac was yeah, a thing. Yeah, that's what I think of. So growing up in New England, it's like the exact opposite of what we have out here. Because I think I grew up with poison ivy and poison sumac. And out here it's all poison oak, but it's not something that I ever really saw. Yeah, I they have a geographical distribution that I wanted to show you okay. because... Yeah, poison oak, it's like just California. Okay, yeah, I was like, I don't... Yeah, here, poison oak. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, no, there are two types of poison oak. There's Atlantic poison oak, 
Pacific poison oak. But that's still way south of me. Yeah, and then there's western poison ivy, but it's not in California. Oh, it's like everywhere that's not California. And the and south. Then eastern poison ivy. Yeah, that I'm used to. Yeah. And then and sumac, then sumac I'm used is to. just yeah. on the east coast. Okay. Yeah. I was like, poison ivy and sumac are what I was taught growing up to avoid like the plague. Which makes sense because yep. it's here and it's not in California. So you just have like this one specific kind of poison oak. Yep. West poison oak. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Fancy. And it looks exact. It looks different from the others. Yeah, no, it like, does. Yeah, it's more rounded and less like pointy. Leaf. More like an oak leaf. Wait, what? Probably why they call them poison oak. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I mean, sometimes they name things logically. <laughs> I'm not used to that with medicine. I know, me neither. <laughs> it's usually named after some dude who discovered it, kind of, sort of, a hundred years ago. And then we learn it that way, and then they ago. find out he was a Nazi, and then we have to relearn the scientific <laughs> name. Exactly. So the website I was looking at when they were talking about these contact skin reactions, they talked about this old saying, which I don't know if you've ever heard it, leaves of three, let it be. Yes, because with poison ivy. Yeah. That's when you stay away. Helpful reminder for identifying poison ivy and oak, but not sumac, which usually has clusters of seven to 13 leaves. Yep. But apparently they can all look different depending on the local environment and the season also. So interesting. That's helpful. Well, also, like, some, t- some seasons, they are not likely to have the oil that they secrete that, like, would harm you. So oh, it's that, less concerning. Yeah. Hmm. So with those kinds of reactions, outdoor workers, obviously, are at the highest risk. So forestry workers and firefighters in particular at a- are at additional risk because they can develop rashes and lung irritation from contact with damaged or burning poisonous plants. I was going to throw in a little story here. So oh. apparently my mom's parents were burning some brush in their backyard and they didn't realize that there was some poison ivy or sumac or whichever. And one of my uncles apparently inhaled the smoke and he got like a lung irritation from inhaling poison aerosolized particles. Was he okay? He was okay. Okay. But like, it's, it's a thing. It's like a legit thing. It's not a thing I would have thought of, but not at all. Yeah. Scary. There's another um, plant that I'll be talking about a little bit later, or maybe you will, but uh, that, aerosolized form of it is deadlier than the ingested form oh, of it. I don't think I have that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, you. Fancy. Um, <laughs> so apparently in 2018, 40, a little over 42,000 specific plant exposures were reported to the National Poison Data System in the U.S. 25 of the most commonly involved plant species accounted for a third of all reported plant exposures. I feel like that makes sense. Yeah. And the most frequent plant exposures in the U.S. in descending order were cherry, which I did not know oh. was toxic to humans. I only have, I found that out when I was looking at it. So cherry, pokeweed, mm. spathophyllum series, ilex species, and poison ivy and malice species. Interesting. Yeah. And they had this little table that showed the the frequency of different plant exposures. Cool. But this is all not fatal exposures yeah. per se. So death from ingesting plant toxins is pretty rare, especially in the developed world. Um, however, in some other regions of the world, plants cause significant morbidity and mortality. And overall... The majority of deaths globally from plant exposures occur following intentional self-poisoning with plants such as Thevetia peruviana, which is yellow oleander. Yes. And Cerbera mangas, which is pink-eyed Cerbera or sea mango. Sea Sea mango! mango. Yes. (laughs) Speaking of mangoes. (laughs) 
That reminds me of in Frozen where they're like, what's that smell? Chocolate. So good. Yeah. So in developed countries, they had some statistics for, let's see, Switzerland, it looks like, in the U.S. So of 25,000-ish cases of plant poisoning reported to the Swiss Toxicological Information Center between 1966 and 1994. This paper was kind of old. Yeah. Um, significant poisoning occurred in just 152 cases. Yeah. And was, only five deaths were noted. It was kind of hard finding a, a death story around this because I feel like so much of what is out there is people that survive these things, which is great, but it's like hard to find things that people die from them. Right, yeah. Yeah, I would be interested in, I don't know, re- like reaching out to the nameless serve and seeing if anybody has had these types of cases oh, before. It'd be a little interesting. Yeah. Um, and then a study from the U.S. reported 30 fatalities from plant poisoning over 18 years, from 1983 Ooh. to 2000, and seven of them were caused by Secuta species and five by Datura, um, Stramonium, which is jimson weed or thorn apple. Okay. And then in developing countries, in South Asia, Thavetia peruviana, which I mentioned already, the yellow ole- oleander, um, the Datura stramonium, so jimson weed, uh, Cerbera mangas, that's sea mango, and Clisthanthus colonis, a species of teak, cause a significant number of deaths each year. And almost all of them are suicide or homicide. I, I've been seeing a lot of that. It's yeah. like the ones that people actually die from them, it's like they, they're, you're trying. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like there are a few plants that we'll talk about that it doesn't take much and you're done. Right. But a vast majority of them, a little bit, you might get a little bit of weird, funny feeling, but like, you'll be okay if you stop eating it. Yeah. Yeah, the unintentional deaths usually occur in children. Mm-hmm. Um, and Atracetillus gummifera, bird lime or blue thistle, poisoning has a reported case fatality rate greater than 65% in North Africa. Woof. And then acute ascending peripheral neuropathy following the ingestion of Carwinskia humboldtiana, which is Tuladora or blackthorn okay. fruits, is a common problem in Central America. Okay. Yeah. So this neuropathy, which is a problem with the nerves. And then a separate group of poisonings with significant mortality and morbidity occurs after women use plants to induce abortions in countries where abortion is not legalized. And so Ruta chalapensis in Uruguay and uh, that same yellow oleander, Thavetia Peruviana in Brazil and India have been associated with morbidity and mortality in relation to attempted abortions at home. Okay. Yeah. And that's all I had with epidemiology because there's really not a lot. And I don't know if that's just because people haven't made this a focus of research. I think it's also hard because when you try to delineate stuff, what I kept trying to look up was like accidental overdose plant or like poisoning plant. And anytime you think about, like, most of this stuff, you have the suicides and the homicides. But what I was curious about is all the people that, like, accidentally do this to themselves. But when you group, when you think of accidental poisoning, the first thing you think of is drugs. Yeah. And that number is so staggeringly huge that it just dwarfs this number. So it all was grouped in there and it was all just telling me all about the opioid deaths, which I already know about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely expecting to come across more statistics in regards to people who forage. Yes. Yeah. And like accidentally mistake one species of plant for something that is toxic that looks exactly like it. So, yep, that's all I had epidemiology wise. 
So I'm going to briefly mention a couple of types of poison because it's I think it's interesting to think about them this way. So one of the biggest groups that we're going to talk about are called glycosides and often cyanogenic glycosides. And this is essentially a form of cyanide that causes acute intoxications that can lead to long-term growth retardation and neurologic symptoms, but short-term can lead to altered mental status and eventually can like just shut down your body completely. Cyanide, as we've talked about before, kind of shuts down metabolism and it really messes stuff up. So some of the general things that we're not going to talk specifically about that have cyanogenic glycosides are raw lima beans. And this is actually what cherry has. So you talked about cherry earlier. In the leaves and seeds of cherries, which is one of the many reasons you shouldn't eat cherry seeds, there are cyanogenic glycosides. Oh. And again, I don't have exactly how much you need, but don't eat the leaves and seeds. Why, Why aren't you giving me the practical information here? I am now. I mean, in terms of dosages. Just don't eat the seeds. <laughs> don't eat any. Why would you do that anyway? No, How much more practical do you need? <laughs> eat one only. <laughs> the extra fiber. I just need to know what my limit is. <laughs> oh, man. Another one that I distinctly saw that I wanted to talk about was oxalic acid. And this is nephrotoxic, which means uh, toxic to the kidneys. And it's also a corrosive acid. And this is seen in the leaves of rhubarb. Now, I'm sure you've had rhubarb Mm. before. And the stalks are what you eat. So the stalks are fine, but the leaves have this literal acid in them that can be corrosive and could kill your kidneys. Oh, I thought, oh, I knew the plant was poisonous. Mm -hmm. I thought the whole thing was poisonous if raw, and that's why you had to cook it. No, it's apparently the leaves, but the stalks are edible. You just cook it because it's a plant, and you're going to be chewing on wood if you don't cook it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Cooking with Jordan. (laughs) Another one is called solanine. This, in general, causes digestive upset and a nervous excitement, as well as like headaches, diarrhea, cramps, weakness, confusion, but it can lead to coma and death. Okay. So one of the big ones that Nicole will be talking about a little bit later is Deadly Nightshade. Yes. has solanine in it. Other things include tomato leaf stems. So I feel like what this keeps telling me is only eat the bit you're supposed to eat and don't start chewing on the other parts <laughs> because it keeps coming back to like... Yeah, the the plant itself are delicious, but, like, don't eat the stems or you'll die. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, all of human history, there was there were people who were trying these different things, and that's how they figured it out. Like, yeah. oh, fruit good, stem bad. Exactly. <laughs> also, did you know that tomatoes are in the nightshade family? Yes, I did know that, but because of this research yeah. today. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Well, um, and also... Um, I can't remember if it's my mom or my aunt, but one of them has a friend who's allergic to nightshades. And she has to watch so many things in her diet, though. I never would have thought of. But it's not just tomato. It's also potato. I'll be talking about potato next. Okay. Sorry. No, it's fine. No, no, you're good. And so a lot of what we'll be talking about is you can... A lot of the issue with a lot of these plants that are poisonous is people mistake one that's not going to kill you for one that will kill you. Yeah. One that... Yes, you know what I mean. Yes. Um, and but do they know what you mean? <laughs> I hope so, people. I'm sorry. Um, so 
a lot of times people try to brew a tea from leaves of something they shouldn't. So there's been at least one death from somebody who tried to make an herbal tea out of tomato leaves and then gave themselves too much solanine. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned potato. And so potato also, it's it distinctly said wild ones, which I put wild ones for our. <laughs> <laughs> potatoes so gone wild. Potatoes gone wild. And it, interestingly, it's the green portion of potatoes that are more poisonous and have a higher concentration of solanine. So cultivated potatoes have a lot less of this, but with more exposure to light, they produce more of this poison, but it also is around chlorophyll, so it makes it more green. So if you see a green chunk of a potato, don't eat it, because that's the bit that's going to have more of this in it. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I would. I didn't eat them anyway, because I'm like, that's the wrong color for yeah, potato. Exactly, but I didn't but... realize that it would actually kill me. I thought it would just... Cool. So it's just like don't eat yellow snow, don't eat green potatoes. Oh, <laughs> oh! It was. I thought this was interesting that some varieties of potatoes have a greater glycoalkaloid concentration than others. So breeders that are developing new types of potatoes, they try to keep the solanine levels below 200 milligrams per kilogram. However, when these commercial varieties turn green, they like these things that they're developing, they can reach solanine concentrations of a thousand milligrams per kilogram. Ooh. And I'll put this into context. So the U.S. National Toxicology Program suggests that the average American consume no more than 12.5 milligrams a day. So if you're what? eating a thousand milligram per kilogram bunch of potatoes, yeah. you only need to eat 12.5 grams of potato, oh. which is like a couple fries. So if they're green... I used to love fries, thanks. <laughs> but hopefully they're not green. Just don't eat green fries. I mean, I never make fries at home, so oh, how so am true. I supposed to know if they well, were green? Usually you... Usually no. You... <laughs> hopefully they're using fresh potatoes and not these weird new varieties. It sounds like the more common ones, like Yukon Gold and all that other... Like the more well-developed ones don't have as high concentrations. And for most of them, you need to eat a decent amount. Um, like, even if it's at 200 milligrams per kilogram, you need to eat 62.5 grams in order to get there, which is more. That's, that's Is it? <laughs> is that a higher number? <laughs> I had to. Yeah, I know. I walked into that one. <laughs> but it was one of those things I never think of potatoes as something that's going to get you. But potatoes are another one of those that affect dogs and cats poorly. Oh, right. And I wonder if it's because they can't metabolize solanine oh. as well as humans can. Yeah. On the contrary, I do think of a potato as something that'll kill me because the most often when I eat a regular white potato, it's in French fry form. And I'm That's like, true. I can feel the atherosclerosis. So now we were going to go into a list of some of the world's deadliest plants and just talk a little bit about each of them. And some of you who follow us on Twitter might have been expecting this because I asked for some of you to recommend some of your favorite plants for us to talk about. And I will be giving shout outs to the people who actually tweeted back um, responses. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. So first, I'm going to be talking about water hemlock, also known as Secuta maculata, which another thing that I really liked about researching this was the scientific names. There are so many good names for firstborn children. <laughs> what are you going to give out of that one? Maculata. It sounds like a like a macula, like a like a derm term. Oh, I was thinking like immaculate. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, different places. <laughs> yeah. Well, I liked maculata. I liked ricinus, and I liked nerium. I like nerium. Yeah. So keeping that one in mind. Is farium gonna come next? Farium, nerium, and farium. <laughs> oh my god! You're punny. I try. 
<laughs> so water hemlock is familiar to many people because it is the plant that Socrates was poisoned with, and it is deemed the most violently toxic plant in North America. And it's a large wildflower in the carrot family. You mentioned yes. carrots earlier. And it's sometimes confused with edible parsnips or celery. So it's one of those ones that people who forage in nature sometimes think is an edible plant and ends up being toxic. Mm -hmm. And it is infused with something called cicutoxin. That's how I'm going to pronounce that. There's going to be a lot of these toxins and I'm sure somebody will be like, how are you so wrong? But we're trying, guys. Yes. (laughs) And that's all you can ask for. So it's infused with cicutoxin especially in its roots, and cicutoxin causes painful convulsions, abdominal cramps, nausea, and death. And those who survive poisoning with water hemlock are often afflicted with amnesia or Mm -hmm. lasting tremors. Always they don't remember it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was delayed. (laughs) Wait, I caught it. I caught it. I'm also tired. I didn't have my second cup of coffee today. That was great. You love me. I do love you. (laughs) What I loved about this was there's so many names. So there's water hemlock, um, but also poison hemlock, spotted parsley, cowbane, bad man's oatmeal. Oh, what? Yep. Um, Poison snakeweed, beaver poison, children's bane, death of man. Like, it's really, really in- impressive how many, because like there's two different, there's conium maculatum and secutum maculatum, which I think they're slightly different, mm-hmm. but they're essentially the same type of poison. Because um, for mine, it said conium maculatum is what kills Socrates. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, beaver poison and bad man's oatmeal. I like bad man's oatmeal. <laughs> it's like, where did this come from? Like, and death of man. They're just so good. Like, these old people came up with on point. Back in my day, we used to nickname poison plants. Beaver's poison. <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume that is because beaver caps used to be pretty popular in North America, so maybe they use them to catch the beavers without ruining the coat. Um, So another one that I saw was aconite, also called um, wolfsbane or monkshood. I feel like a lot of these just have so many names because different people in different places found them and started naming them and they came together. Yeah, and this Um, one, um, Harry Potter, book one. Yes, (laughs) also true. So the poison in this is aconite, and this will disable... Disable nerves can cause hypotension, which is a low blood pressure, and can stop the height, the heart. Um, stop the height. Stop she going. Um, oh, don't want that. And for this one, even skin contact should be avoided, which I found interesting. Yeah. Um, this was actually used for poison for bullets by Germans in World War II. Really? And then was used as bait and arrow poison in ancient Greece. Huh. So it's so, so poisonous that they were like, let's tip our bullets with our, it. Uh, Let's tip our projectiles with this poison to really, like, stick it to them. The only thing I, else I had for aconite was that it's also termed the queen of poisons. Ooh, which I, I like it. it. Yeah. Maybe aconite would be a good name for a girl. Nita for short. <laughs> <laughs> so next I'm going to talk about Deadly Nightshade, or Atropa Belladonna. 
And it is, as we have mentioned, the same family uh, as the tomato and potato. And it is a native plant of wooded or waste areas in central and southern Eurasia. It has dull green leaves and shiny black berries about the size of cherries. And the sweetness of the berries is what often lures children and unwitting adults to consume the plant. Mm -hmm. And it contains atropine, scopolamine, and hycocyamine in its stems, leaves, berries, and roots. And this leads to paralysis in the involuntary muscles of the body, such as the heart. And even physical contact with the leaves can cause some skin irritation. This is also called devil's cherry. Ooh, devil's cherry. I like it. And you wanted numbers before for apple seeds. I do have numbers for you. Numbers for you for, for, um, for belladonna. Okay. So in kids, about two to five berries will kill them. Ooh, that's yeah. And in adults, ten to twenty. Uh, okay. So not much. Not much, but also much. ten to fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it, it would take me a while to eat ten to twenty like cherries. Yeah. So hopefully by then I'll feel something and stop. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Also, interestingly, with this one, cattles and rabbits can eat these without any effect. Oh. So just talking about species differences. Yeah. Um, The next one I have is agave. And this one I mainly have because people often confuse it with aloe. Yes. And aloe is something you squeeze it out and you rub it all over your arms and your burn is gone. But agave can cause acute contact dermatitis with blisters that last for several weeks and recurring itches that last for several years what so where aloe soothes your skin yeah this will mess you up oh no but what's great about agave tequila 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 (laughs) exactly so we so even though they might be poisonous your gi tract for years to come exactly (laughs) so there are there are plenty of these that there are plenty of things with some of these plants that I'm willing to forgive their toxic side effects for. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So next I'm going to talk about white snake root or agaritina altissima. And this is a North American herb with flat topped clusters of small white flowers. And it contains the toxic alcohol tremetol. Tremetol. Yes. And tremetol causes loss of appetite, nausea, weakness, abdominal discomfort, a reddened tongue, abnormal acidity of the blood okay and death okay and fun fact it was responsible for the death of abraham lincoln's mother oh but unlike those who have died from directly ingesting deadly plants she was poisoned by drinking the milk of a cow who had grazed on the plant oh interesting yeah so both the meat and milk from poisoned livestock can pass the toxin to human consumers so this is where it's just scary with some of this stuff yeah, so cattle was... ranchers, one of the first things that they do is they'll go around the field oh. and they'll make sure that there aren't any of these snake root plants around. I wonder if that's one of like, the regulatory things that they like have to do now. Oh, I wonder. Yeah. Hmm. Well, second fun fact, the name originates from the fact that it was used as a cure for snake bites. Mm. So talk about rubbing salt in the wound. So next is another quick one. Um, so columbine, which is like that kind of droopy looking flower. Their seeds and roots have cardiogenic toxins. They cause severe gastroenteritis, which is essentially a really bad stomach upset, and heart palpitations. And interestingly with these, these flowers were consumed in moderation by Native Americans as a condiment, apparently. Really? Yeah. And of course, it's the seeds and roots that have the toxins in it. Yeah. But it's interesting that these, like, that's what was considered a condiment. Huh. So next I'll be talking about the rosary pea, or abrus precatorious and this was actually a suggestion from my younger sister 
who mm-hmm. is at Artistic Flutter. And they're also called Jaquarity Beans, and they're native to tropical areas and are often used in jewelry and prayer rosaries, hence the name, because mm-hmm. um, while the seeds are not poisonous if intact, so they can be used for the jewels, those that are scratched, broken, or chewed can be lethal. Oof. And the seed contains a toxin called abrin, which inhibits protein synthesis, um, and it can cause organ failure within four days. Mm. And it only takes three micrograms of abrin to kill an adult, which is less than the amount of poison in one seed. And there are stories of numerous jewelry makers that have been made ill or died after accidentally pricking their fingers while working with these seeds. Um, Fortunately, it's pretty slow to act in the human body, and there is an antivenom, so people who have been poisoned by them have been saved. Okay. But they are one of the most toxic plants on the planet. Sure. Another name for these are Giddy Giddy. Giddy Giddy? Oh my gosh. So good. I love it. Because they're, you know, make you really giddy. When uh, you, right no. before you die? Yep. yep. Speaking of that, <laughs> there's a there's a tree called Cerbera odalum, which is also called the suicide tree. Mm. So Cerberin, which is related to digoxin, blocks calcium ion channels in the heart. It can lead to electrical issues, which can lead to arrhythmias. And this is actually often used in India in homicides and suicides. So you only need to ingest a single seed from this tree. And while it's a very strong taste, it can be masked with strong spices. And curry was used as the example, given that this is very common in India. Mm-hmm. And there was a study done in France that between 1989 and 1999, so in a 10-year period, there are more than 500 cases of people either killing themselves or being killed by the suicide tree. Yeah. So it's just one seed done. Good to know. Yep. Not taking notes. I'm going to die, guys. Send help. (laughs) So next I'm going to talk about oleander, or nerium oleander. And this was a request from at Mary Maynard 59 on Twitter. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. So this plant is native to Southeast Asia, and it's a beautiful plant known for its striking flowers, so it's commonly grown as a hedge and ornamental plant. And all parts of the oleander are deadly and contain the lethal cardiac glycosides oleandrin and nerin. And cardiac glycosides are those compounds that affect the heart, so they increase the output of the heart and increase its rate of contractions. And this can lead to an erratic pulse and arrhythmias. It can also cause vomiting, diarrhea, seizures, coma, and death, which is why we're talking about it. And contact with the leaves and sap is known to be a skin irritant to some people. Okay. The toxins in oleander are so strong that people become ill after eating honey made by bees that visited the flower. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, But fortunately, fatalities from oleander poisoning are pretty rare because the plant's super bitter. So as soon as you taste it, you spit it out. I always wondered, you've watched Game of Thrones. Yes. Olena Tyrell, the Queen of Thorns, the grandmother. Oh, okay, yeah. So her name is Olena. Olena. Oh. O-L-E-N-N-A, I think. I always wondered if that name had anything to do with Oleander. Because, of course, she poisoned and et cetera, et cetera. So I might be totally making that up, but... Every time I read about this plant, I think of her. I mean, I already made up a fact about beavers <laughs> and poison, so... Great. Yeah. That's mine. Game of Thrones. Nice. Check. 
Um, I'm going to talk about two really quick. First is Lily of the Valley, which is this really pretty white flower. But this one plant contains 38 different cardiac glycosides. Whoa. So please don't eat it. (laughs) Not just one way. 38 ways to kill you. Um, And the other one that's, I think, really important both in poisoning and in medicine is Digitalis purpura, which is also known as foxglove. And this is what Digitalis, the medicine, is made from. And Digitalis is something that can help regulate people that have irregular heartbeats. It can kind of keep you in a normal heartbeat pattern. But you need to be really well titrated with this because too much of it, you will die. And not enough of it, it's not going to treat you. So it's, it needs to be titrated very closely. And of course, if you have too much of this, it can cause you irregular heartbeat. It also can give you GI upset, confusion. So yeah, so digitalis is just... It is a very important thing that we were able to identify. We have a lot of different treatments that might be better than digitalis now in some ways. So it's not used as much as it used to be. But given that it is in foxglove, it also has been used as poison several times. And I feel like this is a good spot to interject with those poisons for our own poisons that we're ingesting currently. Yes. Um, Nicole's family amazingly, uh, I say, uh, donated to the cause. (laughs) Our, Our one year anniversary is coming up shortly. So we got this. Bro set. <laughs> what was the word? It's, it's called a bro basket. <laughs> bro yeah, basket. my mom and my aunt found it, <clears throat> and it is a collection of 10 whiskey tasters, and it also came with some snacks yes. and a nice whiskey glass. Yes. Yes. With a B on it for, for bro basket. <laughs> um, and today, they're all like the single shot things, so we figured we would have two of them for an episode, for five episodes. And today we had Jameson... For our first, and now we're on to Bullet, which is one of my favorite bourbons. Yes, it's super tasty. On to more plants. More plants. Yes. So next I'm going to talk about the Manchineal, or Hippomane Mancinella, which I also like Hippomane. I like that. And it is known Does, as... Do hippos have manes? Flowing locks? <laughs> they're bald. They're, they're like bald. completely they're very naked. Bald. They're naked mole rats in the water. <laughs> Giant naked mole rats. <laughs> Who can swim really fast and mess you up. And can run on land faster than people Mm -hmm. think. Don't more hippos kill people per year than sharks? 100%. I mean, more coconuts kill people (laughs) per year than sharks. So sharks are like the poodles of the sea. Wait, what? Poodles? I don't don't know. I associate poodles (laughs) with like just being... I love it. I'm just thinking a shark with like a poodle cut. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Somebody Photoshop that, please. <laughs> Send uh, it in. First t-shirt. So Manchineal um, are known as the apple of death. Woo. Snow white, anyone? <clears throat> yeah, apparently. So it is a tree that's found along the coasts of South America. And the fruit is poisonous, but the most dangerous part is actually the the milky sap, which contains ball, And it's a strong skin irritant. And the Carib natives are said to have used various parts of the tree in their weapons. So you mentioned earlier that they would dip their projectiles so the Carib natives would do the same thing. Nice. I mean, it's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Use what you got. Um, So the next one I have is a little bit more holiday cheery. So do you know what a Phorodendron is? Mm, Sounds kind of familiar. 
hold over your head. You have to kiss the person next to you. Mistletoe. Mistletoe. So all parts of mistletoe, especially the leaves and the berries, contain a quote-unquote array of dangerous chemicals, including phorotoxins and toxic alkaloids. And these can go anywhere from acute GI issues, so like an upset stomach, to a weak pulse, a slow heart rate, or seizures. So they might be pretty and red and green, but don't eat them. So did you happen to come across why the tradition is to kiss underneath them if they are poisonous? did not look that up. Yeah. The only thing I really knew about mistletoe besides the kissing tradition is that it is a parasite for trees. And so the trees get it. Yeah, it did say that actually. Yeah. Then I didn't write it down. Like there's a tree that was down my street that had um, a mistletoe infestation. And so they had to cut it down. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because it spreads really quickly to different trees. So next I'm going to talk about angels' trumpets, which are the genus Brugmansia. And they are large shrubs named after the trumpet-like flowers. And they are native to the tropical regions of South America. Okay. And all parts of the plant contain tropane alkaloids like scopolamine and atropine, like deadly nightshade. Okay. Yep. Cool. But it also doesn't look like something I would want to eat. No. I feel like a lot of these flowers and stuff are like... Things that I would not necessarily want to eat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. For some of these, I'm like, yeah, I could see a little kid. Especially like the berry ones. The berry ones I definitely see. Yeah. But most of the flowers, it's like, I mean, a cat would, but I wouldn't imagine most children just being like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) So the next one that I have is going to give uh, Nicole's most poisonous one a run for its money. It's called the... Ricinus communis, or the castor oil plant. It's also called a castor bean or a palma christi plant. So these seeds also contain ricin, which is that same thing that we talked about before, where it can inactivate ribosomes, and essentially you're not able to make any proteins anymore. It's toxic, and it's also water-soluble, which is interesting. Oh. Um, So per the Guinness 2000 Book of World Records, it is the most poisonous plant in the world. But it says that its cousin Abrin in the seed to the Jacarity, which is another word for the rosary piece, exactly, um, is arguably more lethal. So I think those two are the top top contenders, but they also do have the same poison in them, ricin. Yeah, I read that the Abrin is a hundred times more potent than ricine, but maybe the difference is that the Abrin is slower acting in the human body. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. The ricin is just more active, like, immediately. And the LD50 of ricin is, if you inject it, only 20 micrograms per kilogram. But if you ingest it, it's 20 to 30 milligrams per kilogram. So you only need to eat four to eight seeds of the castor oil plant in order to die. Yes. So. And I also feel like it's always the injecting that's worse, which is the same with the rosary pea. Which totally makes sense. And, of course, the reason that castor oil... plant is interesting is because castor oil is really common like it's used in laxatives muscle rubs cosmetics um, and those are all made from the seeds but the rice in itself is denatured in the processing so it's very commonly used which is why castor oil is everywhere and i saw this i was like how is it arguably the most poisonous in the world because when it gets hot essentially Ah. it inactivates the toxin okay which is good yes And I read that it has been used in assassination attempts, both successful and not. Yes. Um, I feel like all of these have. (laughs) But some of them are just more common, like the castor oil plant. 
But they also noted that most fatalities are the result of accidental ingestion yep. by children and pets because yep. it's an ornamental plant. Exactly. Qualities. Um, Don't let the children near the shiny beads. No, no. In fact, keep your children inside. Just you lock them in a box. That's how you raise children, right? You put them in a box and you just give them. We're some going back to the point when I'm not going to let you ever babysit my child. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> And this is actually the plant that I was talking about earlier. Um, I read that it's more dangerous than snake venom and cyanide, but if it's inhaled. So this oh, one is like... okay. Yeah, if you... Interesting. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it gives off some sort of gas if it's burned or if it's like if you accidentally... It probably just gets aerosolized when it's burned. It. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's deadly if inhaled yeah. more than ingestion. And it sounds like these are like a more field-like distribution. So burning them might be a little more common. Mm-hmm. So the last one I had is tobacco or Nicotiana tobaccum. And this one was recommended by at Doc Magni at Doc underscore Magni. And she's actually a forensic scientist. And one of her fields of research is nicotine poisoning. So she tweeted us one of her research papers and I'm going to post the link to the website. But it's the most widely grown commercial non-food plant in the world, as might be expected by the fact that it's used in cigarettes. And all parts of the plant, especially its leaves, contain the toxic alkaloids, nicotine, and anabasine. Yep. And this one is a the the specific one you mentioned is the cousin to the nicotiana glauca, which is tree tobacco. Mm-hmm. And this one specifically, so the poison control group in San Francisco, they have these toxicology rounds every Tuesday morning, which are really cool. Love them. Um, and they actually had a case of one of these where somebody brewed a tea using the nicotiana glauca and ingested it and they presented to the hospital with this acute poisoning and they eventually figured out what it was and they were able to save the person but like the the uncle of this woman almost died and then the woman also drank some of it but she had much more mild symptoms and didn't go to the hospital so it was all like tracking down what exactly happened which was really interesting yes And then we're going to round off our poisonous plants talking about mushrooms really quickly. And mushrooms have so many different varieties you can go on forever. I'm going to say some more generic things about mushrooms because it's this huge class and there are people that are really into mushroom hunting and that type of thing. And I think that I would be doing it a disservice if I tried to dig into it too much. But... Long story short of this is unless you're an expert, don't trust yourself to harvest mushrooms. Because I'll talk about this a little later in my story. It's really easy to confuse non-poisonous ones from ones that will kill you if you eat just a tiny little bit. Um, some of the toxins include alpha-amanitin, phallotoxin, muscarin, ergotamine, which is actually used as a headache medicine in small oh, yeah. amounts. Um, but it's produced by mushrooms. And there are some specific bad mushrooms, like the death cap mushroom, which you only need to eat a little bit of, and you're pretty much gone immediately. Hence the name. Hence the name. Um, And some of the interesting things are there's some, I'm going to say rumors, for lack of a better term, around this. You know, saying that poisonous mushrooms are always brightly colored. Not true. Insects and animals will avoid toxic mushrooms. Not necessarily true, because some of them could have adapted ways that they can eat them and we can't. Yeah, as we've mentioned, <laughs> toxins affect different species differently. Exactly. You know, poisonous mushrooms black and silver and taste bad. These are just like some kind of folk Old traditions. Wives, exactly. Know. All are safe if cooked, parboiled, dried, pickled, etc. 
pickled mushrooms. Pickled apparently is a thing. <laughs> um, but if you, as we will talk about, I will talk about later, it's not true. Sometimes these, even when they're you know very well cooked, can still do very bad things. And two theoretically notable cases, kind of like with the Socrates thing we talked about earlier, they think that he died from that, but we're not really 100% sure. Um, Siddhartha Gautama, who's the Buddha, oh, they really? say died from mushroom poisoning no. in 479 BC. Whoa. Yeah, which I never realized. And also the Roman emperor Claudius, they think was murdered by being fed a death cat mushroom. Eh, too. Death cat. <laughs> That should be the title of our episode. And then I have one thing in here for Nicole, because I think it's fun, and I think she's going to love it. So I wanted, I came, I did a little bit of research on this, and a couple of them are for my own brain. So I've talked in the past about some myths and things that are associated with some of these oh, natural yes, disasters yes. and whatnot. So I found a list of fictional deadly plants Ooh. that I thought was really fun. <gasps> yeah. I do love this. Yes. You were correct. <laughs> so some of them I had never heard of, but I'm sure that there might be some people that have heard of them. So there is this old movie called, or book and movie called The Day of the Triffids. And triffids were experimental plants that can move and kill people. And then in the film, they're alien plants that came down and started eating people. Whoa. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool plants. So when are we having our bad movie night? Oh, my God. I mean, I'm assuming this is a like a I, B movie. Some of them are good. Okay. Some, some of the later ons. I save the good ones for later. Oh, nice. Also, importantly, um, you talked about the Venus flytraps before. Yeah. But if you think of Mario, the piranha plants oh, yes. are these dangerous plants. It's me. Yeah. Like, I like... I was like, that's a really good point. It's a plant that is out there just to kill people. Right. Although they're not really poisonous because he's not eating them. They would be more like venomous. They would eat him, though. Well, like when he lands on one, or like he gets, he can be eaten by one. Yeah. And then they kill him. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's true. They're not poisonous. They're just deadly. I guess these are fictional deadly plants more than poisonous. Love it. It's fair. These next two kind of go together. Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Doctor Who's episode Seeds of Doom. In Invasion of the Body Snatchers, there's these deep space seeds that come to Earth, and the spores turn people into mindless drones. Ooh. So kind of like when some bacteria can get into your brain yeah, and like yeah, yeah. Can make like rats more like um, toxoplasma, right? Yes. No, toxoplasma Toxo- that gets into the mice and it yeah, makes them less afraid of cats exactly. and makes them seek the cat urine. Yep. Yep. And then there's the ones that make the snails and the ants go to the top of the plants so that birds yes. are more easy to... Yes. Yes. Oh, so essentially, so like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and then Doctor Who Seeds of Doom are pretty similar. And then it's a plant that comes out and the spores take over their brains and it makes uh-huh. them do all these things. Um, this one, the title is self-explanatory, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, so what? what's the plant that is um, deadly now? <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, maybe the tomatoes, the the nightshade cousin. Oh, oh, the nightshade oh, cousin. Oh, yeah. okay, cousin Becca. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, yeah, has that one. a killer carnivorous yeah, plant. Yeah, yeah. Then, Who has a great voice? Yes. <laughs> uh, Wizard of Oz. There's the deadly poppies. Oh, right. So they're walking through the field and they smell the good smell and they yeah, get alerted yeah. and they fall asleep and they can't get out until somebody physically takes them out. So these are obviously based off of. Poppies, poppies, like uh, heroin, opioids, Mm -hmm. but obviously real poppies, you can't just fall asleep in the field by walking in there. So a little extreme, but they didn't want to show Dorothy shooting up. They didn't want to show. (laughs) 
all the children that are watching. Mommy, what's she doing? <laughs> Those are just track marks, sweetie. This one isn't deadly, but I think Nicole's going to love this. So in Through the Looking Glass, <laughs> there are these flowers that are super rude. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so this one point she's walking through and... The quote that I saw was, It's my opinion that you never think at all, said the rose in a rather severe tone. I never saw anybody that looks stupider, a violet said. <laughs> so suddenly that Alice quite jumped, for it hadn't spoken before. Those salty flowers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just really interesting seeing like the different way that people interpret these. And obviously they're not poisonous, but they, they give her a little ribbing. I mean, you know, if you hear negative things over and over again for That's your true. entire life, it gets into your head, man. Mental health is real, guys. Yes. Um, and then the last one I wanted to mention, I'm saving for last because it's the first one that I thought of. And it wasn't in any of these lists. So this one I will take credit for. In Hunger Games. You're not giving Suzanne Collins credit for this one? <laughs> not for thinking of it and associated with deadly plants. Uh-huh. But <laughs> she can get all the credit right in the book. So Nightlock is a, understandably a combination between Nightshade and Hemlock which are two poisonous plants that she kind of brought together. Oh, duh. Of course, that's where she got the name. (laughs) But of course, at the time, you don't think of it. But now that we're doing this, I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, of course. Um, So Foxface dies after stealing them from PETA. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. By the way, some people die in Hunger Games. And then PETA and Katniss threaten to kill themselves to end the game by threatening suicide. Yes. Um, So I feel like it was easier to find some fictional deadly plants than it was to find real life deadly plants because like we said a lot of the real life ones people are pretty good at saving themselves yeah and but there's a lot and this was just like scraping the surface there's a lot of movies and stuff out there and murder mysteries and whatnot that is oh i'm gonna put this poison in their food and realistically maybe there's a lot of people that we didn't realize that die from that kind of thing and this kind of goes into as Forensic pathologists, a lot of what we do isn't just examining the body. It's also getting a lot of the background information. Yes. So, you know, we can't just in isolation do the autopsy because our tox panel might not pick up all these things because right. they're pretty rare. And not, yeah, not tested on a standard panel. So you would have to think about them based on the history. Exactly. And maybe you can have associations with, well, this one causes multi-system organ failure. So I'm seeing all of these changes. Oh, well, maybe it's associated with the mushroom, which often leads to multi-organ failure. These, these, those kind of toxins. Yeah, that was one of the things I was trying to look up in this episode was if there are specific autopsy findings for these different plants that could maybe give it away. Like arsenic can cause skin changes with chronic poisoning, but... I didn't see anything like that. It would be a total history thing. Yeah. And it's also super plant dependent. Yeah. Because it might be, you know, this particular one has this series of changes, but, you know, that's not going to be the same as even its cousin plant. Speaking of fiction, um, at mm. BJ Magnani, uh, M-A-G-N-A-N-I, she is one of the pathologists that has been giving uh, virtual lectures on toxicology. Yeah. She did make some recommendations over Twitter and they were both fictions. So Lily Robinson and the art of secret poisoning and the queen of all poisons, oh, which I wonder yeah. if has aconite now that I think about it. Cause that one is called, is referred to as the queen, queen of, of all, all poisons. poisons. Oh, um, and you, so, you figured it out from the, yeah, from the title. You don't need to read the book now. <laughs> nope. Um, well, I, I want to read the books eventually. I, I didn't have time to read them before this episode, but just, throwing those out there and then also one of my favorite books the girl with all the gifts spoiler alert it's a zombie book but it's a fungus that turns people into zombies yeah i feel like that's it's always interesting if that's one of the like 
the tropes, I guess. Yeah. Is something, whether it's a virus, fungus, spore, whatever, can can get you from the inside out. The world is a scary place. So now we're going to get into our stories, and I'm going to start off with a tale from Haiti. Mm, okay. So over a four-month period, beginning in November 2000, over 105 people presented with continuous vomiting, abdominal pains, loss of consciousness, and or convulsions to various healthcare facilities in the northern region of Haiti. Okay. So an outbreak investigation was initiated with the help of the CDC. The main victims of this illness were children under 15. 90% of the patients who presented with this were children under 15. And at the time of the investigation, 36 people had died out of those 105. Okay. Of the 36 descendants, descendants, of the 36 (laughs) decedents, 17 died within 12 hours after the onset of illness. Wow. 24 died within 24 hours and 29 died within 48 hours. So pretty quick fatality rate in those who died. The investigation determined that the most likely cause of the outbreak was ingestion of unripe ackee fruit. Oh, I think I vaguely read about this. Yeah. And then didn't decide to do anything more of it. So the ackee is the fruit of the tropical Bligia sapita tree, which is indigenous to West Africa and was introduced to Jamaica in 1778. The tree has since been naturalized in Central America, Southern California, and Southern Florida. Okay. And ackee is a staple in the diet of people from many different cultures. Mm. But there's this phenomenon known as Jamaican vomiting sickness. And it's this illness which results from eating the unripe ackee fruit. Oh, okay. And it was reported in Jamaica as early as 1875. Wow. So unripe ackee fruit contains these two naturally occurring water-soluble toxins called hypoglycine A and hypoglycine B. Creative. Yes. And hypoglycine A is the more toxic compound, okay. but both of them cause these very potent hypoglycemic effects. So they decrease the amount of sugar in your body, which slows your metabolism and like messes up your organs. So okay. this causes all of the clinical symptoms and also leads to death. So as the ackee fruit ripens, it changes color from green to yellow to yellow red to red and progresses from closed to wide open. Okay. And the fruit splits into these three sections, each of which contain a large black seed and also this edible fleshy pale yellow part called the arrow. Okay. Um, so the ripening process results in decreased hypoglycine levels in the arrow part. So it can oh. be eaten safely if it's completely ripe. And open. And open. So the seeds have two to three times more hypoglycine than the arrow, and the level of hypoglycine in the seeds remains elevated no matter what the maturation level of the fruit is. Okay. So only the arrow part can be eaten, and it should only be eaten when the fruit is completely ripe. Gotcha. So uh, the unripe ackee retains its toxicity even if it's cooked. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, and the major clinical features of this Jamaican vomiting sickness are acute onset of severe vomiting and hypoglycemia, mm. followed by seizures, coma, and possibly death within two to 48 hours after ingestion. So fast. Which are all of the things that they were seeing in these patients that presented at various hospitals in oh. Haiti. And how long a period of time was this? Uh, this was over four months. Okay. And I'll get into why it was this specific four months where they saw this big outbreak. Because they've seen these periodic outbreaks of this um, yeah. Jamaican vomiting vomiting sickness over various periods of time but this was one of the largest outbreaks gotcha. okay 
And the lab findings in these patients are most notable for profound hypoglycemia with reports of glucose levels close to zero. Whoops. Yeah. You should not have no sugar in your blood. You need some of that. Yeah. So the persistent impact and public health significance of acutoxicity was demonstrated by this outbreak. And the timing of the outbreak corresponded to the time during which the ackee fruit appears on the trees. So that explains part of the timing because the fruit is only on the trees from December to March. But this specific outbreak was attributed to these intense rains that caused floods and produced Mm. considerable losses in corn and sugarcane production in these areas of Haiti. And the economy of that region was very heavily reliant upon this corn and sugar. Oh, interesting. And this is an area where there's already an extreme level of poverty. So they lost all of their economic goods, essentially. So it worsened the living conditions of the population. And they were turning to the ackee fruit for a food stuff. Oh. And since this was mostly children, I'm guessing that it was like the children were really hungry and they maybe knew not to eat the unripe fruit, but they were just like so, so hungry, hungry that they went for it anyway. Sad. Um, so after the investigation was complete, they created this intensive educational campaign in the northern region of Haiti to try okay. to stop these deaths. And Did the they out- reduce it? I think... The outbreak kind of slowed after that, but there's still these periodic. Um, really? It, yeah, it's it still causes a lot of. Add one more things to my never to eat list. Yeah. <laughs> well, unripe ackee fruit. If somebody yeah. offers you a ripe one, how do I know if it's ripe? Uh, just only accept whole ones that are... <laughs> I've seen open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's gotta be. Wait, let me see the colors. It's gotta be red, red and open. Okay. Yeah. Learning. <laughs> That's the whole point of this podcast, right? It's true. That's true. I've learned so much since. For a year. It's been almost a year. I know. It's crazy. crazy. Okay. That's for the next episode. Can we get all sentimental then? Okay. So I am going to talk about a multiple cases of mistaken identity. Ooh. So I'm going to show you some pictures. Okay. The first of which is this thing called Ganoderma lucidum. Okay. And this... Kind of when it gets bigger, it kind of opens up and looks like half a seashell. But when it's young, it kind of just looks like a stalk that comes up. Yeah, I see. This is used in traditional Chinese medicine. It's sold. At, it's also sold as called Lingzi tea, which people, you know, boil it in water and drink it. There's also another type of mushroom. Sorry, these are all mushrooms called cordyceps. And this is also used in traditional Chinese medicine. And it's also known to, you know, boost exercise performance. It's anti-aging, anti-tumor. It can help manage your type 2 diabetes. It gives you heart health. It can fight inflammation. This sounds too good to be true. That's exactly what it is. As one of my favorite podcasts, Sawbones, put it, puts it, a cure-all cures nothing. (laughs) So, yeah. But both of these are used in traditional Chinese medicine. So I'll get into, there's kind of like three mini stories that I'm going to talk about, and then I'll get to the culprit at the end. Oh, okay. So medicine can sometimes be hard to drink or take. But what's better than medicine that's been soaked in alcohol, right? Uh, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Exactly. Yeah. A spoonful of alcohol helps, helps the medicine, medicine go down. Go down. <laughs> in 1999, in Japan's Niigata Prefecture, a party of five were drinking sake. And it was infused which with what they thought was one of these mushrooms that helped. I don't know which one this was, but helped with traditional Chinese medicine. And within two days, one of them was dead. Oh, they were all sick, but within two days, one of them was dead. Yeah. 
And because they drank sake that had about a gram of this fungus in it. A gram. That seems like a lot. Among five of them. Hmm. Oh, wait, no. That's a little. That's a little. So One gram among... Like, Paperclip. Yeah. So now split that five ways. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Then in 2012, this is the main story I'm going to tell, there was a, um, there was a couple that presented to the ED. The first one was this man. He was 64. He had about 10 days of fever, desquamation, which is like when you lose the skin on your, his palms, the soles of his feet, and his scalp. He had hypertension or low blood pressure, tachycardia, which is fast heart rate, and fever. Subjectively, he felt he had fevers, chills, weakness, headache, sore throat. When he looked at his labs, he had what's called pancytopenia. So his white blood cells, his hemoglobin, so his red blood cells, and his platelets were all in the tank. So for Nicole, for context, his white blood cells were 0.12. Whoa. His absolute neutrophil count was 0.02. Great. And neutrophils are the ones that fight bacteria and stuff like that, so you need them. Hemoglobin was 11.2, so not too bad. But platelets were 5K. Whoa. Super low. Give him some platelets. Yeah. He quickly developed multi-system organ failure. He got dyspneic to like 30, so he uh, felt short of breath and he was breathing at 30 breaths per minute. Normally you're around like 12. On admission, his um, blood culture on admission grew out um, methicillin susceptible strep and Klebsiella. He was placed on mechanical ventilation. He had continuous renal replacement therapy, which is like hemodialysis, on day four of admission. Then he developed acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is when your like lungs just fill with water and this acute like um, like in the alveoli, they fill with this. It's not really water. It's like this protein material. So you can't breathe. And then he had renal failure. Oh. And on day six of hospital admission, he died. Ugh. His 60-year-old wife yeah. was admitted due to sore throat on husband's admit day one and fever on husband's admit day three. So she was a little tachycardic. Yeah. Her heart rate was a little fast. She had a pretty high fever, 39.2. So that's like 102-ish um, in Fahrenheit. She had dry tongues, lips. Her throat looked a little red. She had purpura, which is like these little um, purple spots on her legs, both of her legs. That kind of is a sign of having really low platelets. And she also had severe pancytopenia. So white blood cells were 0.35. ANC was 0.03. Her hemoglobin was a little worse, 9.7. And her platelets were at 4,000. Ooh, so wow. So very low. So the wife was a little bit easier to communicate and they found out that the couple had gone to the field, the mountain, and harvested some wild mushrooms from nearby forests, which they thought was this Ganoderma lucidum, which is the first one that I mentioned for traditional Chinese medicine. And they had put them in water and boiled the water. And over the past month, they had been drinking this water. Ooh. So, yeah. So they went and they looked in these mushrooms that had been boiled and they found the culprit, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Oh my gosh. Um, they gave the wife antibiotics. Like, so throughout her entire admission, she got antibiotics because when your neutrophils are that low, you can't essentially fight off anything. So they just kind of kept her going with that. And she actually eventually recovered from the, all the low blood cell counts and her fever subsided and she was able to go home and with no side effects. Oh, so there are so, some happy there stories. There are some happy stories. She apparently had less of this boiled water than her husband did. 
And then there was another couple about four years later in 2016 that also did this mushroom tea thing that they drank for 12 days and they presented similarly with this fever, desquamation of the palms and souls, pancytopenia, and they also both lived. So what did this? So there's this thing called Podostroma cornudeme, which is also called poison fire coral. And I'm showing Nicole pictures of that now. It kind of looks like this bright red, like, antler-looking thing. Yeah, or, like, creepy red hands coming out of the soil. (laughs) And so, well, in mature form... Thanks, I hate it. (laughs) It literally just looks like an antler, but bright red. I do not like this. But if you look at this, like, some of the young forms of this, which are... More like this. Oh, right? that looks pretty similar so to the other thing. So it looks pretty similar to what some of these other ones look like when they're younger before they, you know, get bigger and kind mm-hmm. of have this more. And this is, you know, yeah. it's a little bit different in color than the fire coral. Right. But if you don't know what you're doing, I can completely see you yes. getting them confused. I mean, I would definitely. And again, I... And not a mycologist in any way or pretending like I know which mushrooms are what or any of that. But we've already pretended so many facts this episode. We might as well just continue. So if you are completely trusting in yourself, great. But like, just be careful. Yeah, super great for you. Like, kudos. So poison fire coral was discovered in China in... um, in 1895. Sorry, I had 1985, and I was like, that's just wrong. 1895. It exists in Japan, China, Korea, and one of the islands of Indonesia called Java. And it's shaped like a deer's antler, but it's bright red. But immature forms look like these other mushrooms that are used in traditional Chinese medicine, and it's grown in the same area. In 2001, Sekaiwa et al. discovered the chemical compounds that led to this group of toxins. And at low levels, this can give you diarrhea, vomiting, and dehydration, but it can quickly lead to hypotension, oliguria, which is where you're just not peeing, changes in perception, loss of consciousness, and then without treatment, you can get to low levels of all your blood cells. You can get when your skin is sloughing from the palms and soles, hair loss, and then long term, it can lead to multiple organ failure. So that's acute kidney injury, mm-hmm. it's called disseminated intravascular coagulopathy, which is where like you're just bleeding and clotting randomly because you don't really have the factors in balance well. So it's kind of just a mess. And then <laughs> liver necrosis, oh. which in a lot of, not this one particularly, but a lot of mushroom poisonings, mm-hmm. the big effect in aflatoxins is liver destruction. And a lot of the times you need to do hemodialysis to keep your body alive and enough for your liver to heal itself, essentially. And with this particular one, with this poison fire coral, there's no direct treatment. So there's one patient that was given, you know, this continuous hemo- like hemodialysis and plasma exchange. And then you can give this thing called GCSF, which is granulocyte stimulating factor, which can essentially make your body make more white blood cells and help you get through this acute period where you can't fight off infections. And there's been a couple people that have gotten through it with a lot of supportive treatment, Yeah, but it's not a direct antitoxin. Mm -hmm. And in terms of these couple of cases, they think that the couple did better because they didn't actually eat the mushroom pieces. They drank the water that it was boiled in, so they got a little bit of it. And of course, those... The one of the five guys that was drinking the sake, he they all had direct mushroom ingestion. Like, they had the actual fungus that they ingested, oh. which is why it was so bad, because it was, like, in the sake. Oh, I see. Um, okay. But these other four people, they just drank 
the tea that was boiled. And I'm only listing a couple of cases. There are other cases that they have this. Yeah. Um, but the important thing, I think, with this is that the same toxin in the acute form, if you eat a little bit of it, it's really bad. And if you just drank one dose of this tea, quote unquote, it probably wouldn't be that bad. But they were taking it for a couple of weeks to a month. Right. So you're having this chronic exposure to this thing and eventually it can cause issues. So it's the kind of thing of if they didn't get the story from the wife that was also having the same symptoms if she was feeding it to her husband. Right. Why would you guess that there was this other mushroom that they were getting a little bit of ingestion from over the past month? The dose makes the poison. The dose makes the poison. And we will post all of these things to our social media, yes. all of the photos to our yes. social media. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's crazy to me that all of these things that are out there that, you know, don't just go re- eat random stuff, but there's so much out there in the world that can kill you yes. besides other humans, which is mainly what we end up focusing on. But Or, or like your natural disease states. <laughs> also true, yeah. yeah. So yourself or other people can, yeah. <laughs> can kill you, but there's just a lot of other crazy stuff out there. And thank you, ancestors, for, you know, being the first <laughs> test subjects. And Well, clearly not you. our personal ancestors That's true. because we are still here today. The so. generic ancestors. Unless they did that after they passed on their genetic material. Mm. But then they passed on the knowledge. Yes. Sure. So, yeah. I thought this was really cool. No, this was one of the funnest episodes, I think, <laughs> ever to research. Yes. No, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so. Speaking of social meets, social meets. Social meets. Okay. So if you liked this and any of our other episodes, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It's how other people find out about us and we get boosted up on the various podcasting platforms. You can visit our website at deadmendotellpodcast.com where we link to all of our sources in our episode guide. On Twitter, we're at deadmendo. On Insta, we're at the Dead Tell Tales. And our Facebook page is Dead Men Do Tell Tales Podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, anything, please send us an email through the website or directly to the Dead Tell Tales at gmail.com. And our opening theme music is Introducing the Pre-Roll by Lee Rosevear, who you can find on SoundCloud. Thanks, guys, for listening, and don't just go putting random things in your mouths. Okay, that's... Yeah. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) I had to...